I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to Pressbox. Brian Curtis of The Ringer here, along with producer Devin Manzi. Week one of the NFL season is over which means that week one of the NFL take cycle is just beginning. And our guest today has one or two opinions about pro football. He is Dan Orlovsky of ESPN. Dan Orlovsky spent 12 seasons as an NFL quarterback. He now has that many jobs at ESPN, ranging from his afternoon gig on NFL Live to his showdowns opposite Stephen A. Smith on first take. This week, he's got a new gig. Announcing the network's second Monday Night Football game, Bills-Titans, with Steve Levy and Lewis Riddick. So what interests me about Orlovsky is the whole business of being an NFL pundit. How he did it on Twitter when he was first starting out, how he does it on ESPN studio shows, and now how he does it in an NFL booth. What does it take to make your opinion break through? Here's Dan Orlovsky. All right, Dan, I have to start with your appearance on First Take on Monday because <laughs> you were wearing a T-shirt that said, acknowledge your daddy for the uninitiated. Can you explain? Well, that's uh, head of the table, Roman Reigns. So, uh, you know, I was a relatively big wrestling fan as a kid. I grew up in a pretty good era when it was, you know, Hulk Hogan and then he went to NWO. So that was like a, a throwback to my childhood. My boys, I have triplet sons that are 10 that are kind of getting into wrestling as well. Uh, we went to Monday Night Raw uh, probably like three months ago and they fell in love with that. And then they Roman Reigns was there. And so they were like, you know, enthralled with him and the entrance and the crew that he wrote and kind of walks with. I got a good buddy of mine, Dave Phelps, who is a huge, huge diehard wrestling fan. And he had kind of got me that shirt. He's like, yo, you got to see these new Roman Reigns shirts that just came out. I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. And, um, so I was like, yo, get me one. It's a large. And so he sent it to me and I was like, first day of the season, first take, because I had such fun with Stephen A last year. Um, and him kind of being like, you're outrageous. I wanted to like, kind of wear it to send a little bit of a message, you know, just like, Hey, this is going to be my mindset when I come on your show, which I'm so thankful to be a part of. So, and I know like one of the things for me, Brian, when I do TV is I, I try to be very conscious of, I want people at home to understand I'm very much so them, you know, like 
I, I, you know, while I come across as super nerdy on television with football and, and kind of like, uh, outrageous sometimes, I think there's an endearing aspect when people can watch someone on television and be like, Oh, they're into the same stuff that I am. And, um, so, you know, it's kind of a little bit of tied to wrestling and, and a little bit of tied to, to TV. I'm not just X's and O's. I'm like you too. Yeah. yeah, ESPN yeah, yeah. Viewer. I like wrestling and Roman Reigns as well, guys. So. You've been an NFL opinion guy on basically every ESPN show. What's different about going on first take? Um, number one, you cannot be afraid be afraid to be wrong. You know that is not the point of that that show or Stephen A's show. He, Stephen A wants someone to go on there, be be prepared, be educated about the things you're going to say, and don't worry about re- being wrong. Pick a side, choose a side, and be convicted about it. There's an entertainment level of that show that is paramount. And so um, he also gives you the freedom to be yourself. You know, one of the most amazing things that I experienced last year. So Stephen A called me and said, hey, I want you to come on Thursdays. So that one is incredible. You know, Stephen A. Smith is asking. He gets five days a week. He's giving you one. That's a big stinking deal. So and then very quickly, uh, it became apparent that he wanted me to be my total true self, go at him, be unapologetic. There was nothing that was out of bounds or off lines with him. And so that is, that was super empowering for me really quickly last year. Um, and, and it gave me a lot of, um, conviction, you know, when I was going to say some stuff, I don't believe in this business, you should say anything or say something. I really believe you got to say what you're convicted about. And, but, but first take, it's so good if you can embrace the reality that it gives you the power to not fear being wrong because you're you're going to be asked nine things in one show. You are going to be wrong in those. But if you're convicted about it, it forces you to really do a good job of preparation. It forces you to find out a lot of different things and see which one of those things you feel supports your thoughts. Speaking of picking a side. Last week, we kicked off the NFL season with a Rams-Bills game and also a Twitter-shoving match between you and Richard Sherman, (laughs) former cornerback who's now at Amazon. He said when you talk about your former teammate, Matt Stafford, that you are a quote-unquote homer. What did you make of that? Uh, I don't disagree with that. Um, But I've also been a person who's told the truth about Matthew for a decade now. It happened to be perfect last year where a lot of people were doubting what he was capable of. And, and I obviously stood on one side of the fence. I've said this though, I'd rather be wrong about Matthew than turn my back on him. That's just the type of person I am. That's the type of relationship I had. I can still be objective about his performances. I said last year, a couple of times, like Matthew didn't play great, but everyone, you know, when I got into this world, it was a focus point of I wanted people to realize there's other great quarterbacks than Tom Brady and there's other great coaches than Bill Belichick. And we we live in the sports entertainment world of sports. Hey, that quarterback was 21 of 30 for 290 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions. He stunk. Well, two of the interceptions were one a Hail Mary with eight seconds to go in the first half and one went on the hands of receivers. So, you know, what, which, which one is the truth? Um, you know, when I, the, the reality was when Sherm said that stuff, I kind of embrace it because um, while he has his perspective and opinion and uh, viewpoint on things, I have mine and I'm never going to be afraid that even though Richard Sherman was 
57 time all pro and he's probably going to be in the hall of fame. I'm not going to back down from the things that I believe as well. And, um, you know, I could be respectful and whatnot, but I, just because I don't agree with him, doesn't mean, um, that I, my glasses are covered by, Oh, Matthew Stafford's my buddy. You retired from the NFL back in 2017. When did you first think about being a broadcaster? It's funny. My wife found a notebook of mine from when I was maybe 10 years old. And I don't know how she found this or where, where I said, I wrote down, I wanted to be a broadcaster for ESPN. Now that was never a thought of mine in high school. I was going to the NFL in college. I was going to the NFL. And then when I was in the NFL, I was in the NFL. I was so much focused on that. I, I did broadcast boot camp. I want to say in 2014, cause I was like, I was in year, I think nine at that point. Um, some, I'm going to do something next after this football journey is done. And then I went back and I believe the spring of 17, maybe the spring 17 or 18. So once football was done and I knew that it was done, I transitioned to saying what I was going to do next. When I got finally cut by the Rams and basically the NFL retired me, I got calls from coaches saying, we want you to come coach. And I entertained those for a couple of days, a week or two, and coaches that I loved and respected, but I didn't want to jump into that world because I know what it's like. I had younger kids and I was just, I had played football since the age of nine till 34 and 35. I, I wanted a break from that a little bit. So, um, and then it was, you know, one night, I, I believe it was a Sunday night or a Monday night football game and the Dolphins were playing the Patriots and we were watching the game. And again, I'm super nerdy about football and Cam was at the line of scrimmage. He saw blitz come. He changed the blitz or he changed the protection. He changed his play to a wide receiver screen. It was a walk-in touchdown. And the broadcast wasn't saying anything about it. He wasn't telling people at home why what happened happened. And that's what I love. And I was sitting there getting so mad about it. I was like, you got to talk like that. That was so cool. And my wife was like, you should make a little video and just put it on the internet. And initially I was like, that's a dumb idea. You know, like it's stupid. I didn't believe in social media. I thought it was dumb, all that. And then a couple of minutes later, I said, fine. So I muted the television, turned the, my cell phone sideways, pointed out all the things that happened, put it on the internet, woke up the next morning and it went pretty big. And I thought to myself, there it is. Like that's, that's my thing. And I really believed that people wanted that. And, and thought that stuff would be really cool. And I, so I started to do that. And the more that people ate it up, the more real potentially doing television came to me. Twitter is such an interesting place to train to be an NFL pundit because it's a focus group <laughs> right away. Yeah. What did you find Twitter responded to and what did they not respond to when you broke down plays? Uh, Twitter absolutely responded to a making them more educated fans, pointing out the things that their teams or their, the, the, their fan bases teams did well. You know, they loved that. Hey, you know, they wanted to know why players were struggling or players didn't make a play or they made a bad play. They ate that stuff up. And I think the visual medium that it allowed it to become was a big deal. And especially for teams with quarterbacks that are like, tweener quarterbacks you know he's he's the 12th best quarterback in the league those fan bases love it because one it justifies their feeling of well i my quarterback is top 10 so to speak or other fan bases of other teams who hate that team it gives them 
points to be like, see, your quarterback stinks, you know? So I, I, I think just like the, the reality of fans, you know, it's, it's tied to a little bit of like fantasy football too, right? Where fans just feel more educated and they feel more as a part of the football journey that fan being a fan is, um, people loved. This is like the zone Trey Lance is in right now. Quarterback we mm. have questions about. For sure. For who, sure. Who you I, can point at a few things and say, here's the good part, here's the bad part, here's where we are. Yeah. And I, I think it allows people a vantage point into and I and to answer the previous question, it gives them a greater appreciation for how hard it is. You know, and getting to getting folks to understand, okay, the quarterback in this play did nine different things in 1.8 seconds. He also got hit in the middle of his chest by a 270 pound human, you know? And so they, it's once you uh, see that and understand that, you can gain a greater appreciation for the performance and then more patience when it's not necessarily what we want as fans, right? And the Trey Lance is the perfect example of, Hey, this, first of all, this player, his first game this season could not be in a worse situation weather-wise, right? And so everyone going, well, do, do they have to bench Trey Lance for Jimmy Garoppolo? No, you know, the, 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 he did this on this play. He needs to do this. It's 100% teachable and controllable and fixable. It is just going to take time. It doesn't mean that he stinks nor does it mean that he's going to be a draft bust. It just teaches people or points out to people, well, this is where you guys as fans could pay attention to to see if he's actually getting better at this stuff. Did you think of those tweets as an audition for a TV job? 100%. 100%. And I was fortunate, you know, that people early on told me that, you know, hey, I think the one thing for me with Twitter was this. I would sit at home and one the big part of what I do on television is when I do the touch screens and I use the, the iPad and I'm teaching people stuff. I have usually 120 seconds in that world. You don't get 30 seconds to mess up. You don't get 10 seconds to mess up. So Twitter and having to cut those videos taught me early on how to cut the fat out of what I was trying to say, because Twitter only allowed a video of two minutes. So I, you know, I could not spend five minutes and mess up and all that stuff. So it told me, and it taught me economy of words. It taught me cut the fat off of stuff. It also taught me everybody's watching and you never know who that everybody is. I mean, that's why I got on television first because Peter Schrager's from Good Morning Football saw my stuff on Twitter and called me and asked me if I would do it. So, and, and I also think this too, what, the players see it as well. You know, like fan bases make sure that those players see that stuff. And I think it gives you automatic credibility and respect from people that are still in those locker rooms playing. Yeah. And it's interesting. I imagine it reintroduces you to TV executives too, because we all know they have a list, right? Mike Tomlin, Russell Wilson, <laughs> and you're basically saying, this is what Dan Orlovsky is or could be as a TV person. 100- a hundred percent. It was uh, the way I phrased it is that was my ESPN. I, you know, I wasn't on ESPN, but I didn't need an ESPN at that moment. I, social media could be, and that's why I did the Periscope stuff as well. Like that was going to be my network to say and show this is me. This is who I am. This is what I can do. And I believe that people want this and it, it, it worked out obviously. 
I remember during this period, you were a real taking calls guy too. Like every football writer in America, including a few at the ringer, would have a piece about offense. I'm going to call Orlovsky. Yeah. And I'm going to get him to explain it because I know he'll pick up the phone. Sure. Sure. (laughs) And I know he'll help me out with this. I feel that was kind of a goodwill tour as well. For sure. And that was, and I still tried to do this. You know, that was the moment where everything was a yes, everything. You know, you know, do you, oh, you want me to drive to New York to go do this? Sure. You want me to drive, you want me to do on the phone call for two hours? Absolutely. Everything was a yes. And I, like I said, I still try to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it was an, every opportunity was an important one. So you go from imaginary ESPN on Twitter to actual ESPN in 2018. Yeah. How'd you find you had to talk about football differently on television? Um, you know, I remember the first couple of times I was on, I came home and, you know, would talk with my wife and I'd be like, you have no idea how fast 20 seconds goes until you have to take something that you want to say that takes a minute and you got 20 seconds to do it, you know? And so that was trying to figure out and learn that stuff. I would say this, one of the best things that I got taught early on. And I sometimes even write myself this note nowadays. We have this producer at ESPN named Pete McConville, who was, you know, at Get Up, kind of right when I started there and right when Get Up, I guess, was in flux with all that, whatever. And he called me one day and, you know, said really positive things. And he said, dude, land the airplane. <laughs> don't you know, he said take off don't give me the landing and i was like what do you mean he's like why would the cowboys be good this year and you'll go and you'll tell everybody all the reasons why they're going to be good and then you'll come to your final point give me the final point and then give me the reasons you know so the perfect example is are the chiefs going to be better without tyree kill you know and instead of saying well, they've added these pieces at wide receiver and yes, because they're going to be more difficult to defend and then go, you know, and I think that was a really good learning moment for me um, to really get out that in TV is so important. And again, you can't just say anything and you can't just say something, but it's so important to punch and then jab, punch and then jab. So so if you start that answer about the Chiefs with a yes, then me as a viewer at home, I'm going to perk up and go, oh, he's right or he's wrong. And I'm going to ride with you through the response. Exactly. Or if you just exactly. flipped it, I might tune out and be like, yeah, I don't really care about yeah. you, you know, like, the name of said, the Chiefs receivers. Well, well, they got Marquez Valdez-Scantling next, you know. But if I say, oh, absolutely, they're going to be more difficult to defend, you're going to sit there and go, you're, you're crazy, dude. Like it's Tyree kill. Or when I tell you well, they're going to have one of the best offensive lines in football and they're going to put their hall of fame quarterback under center. And you know, that now they've got five or six people to throw the ball to. So they're going to be less formation dependent. Then you sit there and you go, now I could be wrong, but at least I'm giving you my reasons why after I told you what my, my, Hey, my punch you in the face answer was. Monday is the money day for NFL opinion guys and gals on ESPN. Can you give us a sense of what your Monday schedule is like during the season? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a quick Monday and then a quick week. Um, Monday, I get up at four and I have a car. I live in Westport, Connecticut. So I'm about 
50 minutes to an hour to the Seaport Studios in New York. Car picks me up about four in the morning. I hop in the car. I start rewatching um, Sunday night football on the laptop in the car. I get there. We go over the production plan for the show. We go over the highlights of the show. 7.30, I usually do Sports Center hit. 7.40, I go in, watch all the highlights with Greeny when I'm going to get in, when I'm going to get out with the highlights. 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I do that. In between that, I'm getting notes or emails from first take of what their topics are and what my answers are. I run over, do first take from 10 to 11. I hop in the car. I go from New York to Bristol, Connecticut, which usually takes about two hours and 10, two hours and 20 minutes. I rewatch at least two games in the car from Sunday that I know, you know, going to be more so the talking points that Monday or Tuesday get up to uh, Bristol um, do a production meeting, rewatch another game in between two thirty and four. Do NFL Live four to five. Head home uh, Tuesday morning. I get up probably about five o'clock. I get about two or three more games rewatched. Prepare for NFL Live during the day. Calls, production, all that stuff. Wednesday, get up about five. Finish off all the NFL games um, that I haven't gotten done. Prepare for NFL Live production calls, all that. Um, Thursday, wake up, start preparing for college football game, um, do first take, do sports center, do NFL live, college prep, fly out Friday, go to the game, call a game Saturday, Sunday, watch the games. And I usually watch rewatch three or four games Sunday in between the four and seven o'clock game. And then Sunday night is Sunday night football is going on. So that's a lot. Yeah. 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 But it's awesome, dude. Like, I love it. Like, it, you know, it's, it is a lot, but when I get to watch tape and I find something that I know no one else is going to find, it is a feeling that is very difficult for me to describe. It brings me such joy. <laughs> a eureka, a eureka moment. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. To that point, to that end, Monday on Get Up, you had a breakdown of Brian Dable and the Giants offense. You show the series of plays which ends with them sneaking a wide receiver into the end zone and getting a touchdown. Did you see that live on Sunday and said, oh, I want to use this on first take or excuse me, use it on get up? Or does ESPN say we need something from the Giants game? Go find us some. Yeah. So no, did not see it live because when those games are going on, I'm trying to see them all, you know, like there's, I'm watching four or five games at a time when they're going on live. That's why going back and rewatching it is such a big deal. So I'll, I'll fill you in on this Monday. So truthfully, the plan was to try to find something from the Dallas Tampa Bay game. And I always tell the ESPN folks, I tell get up ESPN, but certainly get up. I tell them, we want to find something worthy from probably the most talked about game, so to speak, the most desired game. But I have told them, and this is something that changed about two years ago where they finally, I told them, I was like, listen, I'm not going to do something just to do it. You know, like I, I, you guys got to trust me that I'm going to find the thing that I think is the biggest deal. And I'm, and it's great because sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm right. You know, sometimes Greeny will push back or we have a phenomenal producer in Alley. And this week, you know, the plan was Dallas and Tampa. And I just texted her like, hey, there ain't nothing from that game, especially after the injury to Dak. And I said, I'm telling you, the story of the weekend is the Giants and Saquon Barkley. That that's and that two point decision and conversion. And I was like, 
it's four plays. And her pushback was, Dan, four plays, you know, the audience at home, are they going to be able to follow? And it was a moment where I said, Allie, you just trust me. I will get this done under two minutes. It will go quickly. And it, it was, it's why relationships matter, certainly. Um, but no, it was just one of those things where I felt like it was the, the biggest moment of the weekend. The gravitational pull of ESPN is often, is there something from the Cowboy game we can talk about? Sure. And you yeah. have to sometimes make your case and say, no, no, no. What if we did this? Yeah. And I've, I've kind of always been that way. You know, I think that was one of the things that Greeny and that crew um, appreciated early on. I, cause I had to go prove to, I was proving to Mike Greenberg that this dude, Dan Orlovsky was worth having on Monday mornings after Sunday football. And so I couldn't, I couldn't go in there every Monday morning and just do what they said. You know, I had to come in there and be like, no, 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 guys, we have to do this. And I can't tell you how many times we'd go in there and I'd be like, yo, we got to talk about this. We're going to get ahead. I remember the year the, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl in 19. I re remember it vividly. It was week four against Carolina and they were running the ball so well. And I remember getting into a 10 minute conversation with Pete McConville about it. I'm telling you, Pete, you, we, we have to do this. And he was like, Dan, it's San Francisco. You know, like our show is on at five o'clock in the morning, their time. And I was just telling him, you have to trust me that this is going to be a big deal in three or four months. And, um, you know, it, it, we did it and it obviously is something we got ahead of, but, um, yeah, you know, I got to trust my eyes. I have to trust my eyes when it comes to football. You do a lot of these in front of a big telestrator there on the set. Do you get a rehearsal with the telestrator before you do it live? Oh yeah. I practice it four or five times, you know, I, and I, I, I hate taping. I need live. I don't, if I'm actually taping it, I'll mess it up three times cause I'm an idiot, but I try to at least three or four times in commercial break, I grab the iPad, I go over to the board myself and I snap into the moment and I pretend like I'm on TV and I walk through all of it, the things I want to say, when do I engage with the screen? When do I get back to the camera? You know, because again, it's when you're live, you don't get, you know, the uh or mistake or, uh, you know, you don't get that. So, um, I try to be very, very ready and prepared and efficient and, and go from there. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. When do you feel like I'm at the edge of my bandwidth, I'm doing 19 shows at one time, and you're going to ask me something about football that I do not have a well-worked-out opinion about? I don't ever feel that way. Never? Uh, I don't think so. You know, like, I don't believe so, no. I honest, I watch every snap, so I think those snaps allow me to formulate my opinion. Um, and I don't even think it's an opinion. I think it's just uh, um, a verbal explanation of what I'm seeing. Um, I'll be honest with you. If, you know, I got a call from somebody that was going to ask me to break down the big 10 right now, I probably couldn't excel at that. But NFL wise, I don't believe, I don't think that there's many moments where I'm going to sit there and not have a pretty good grasp of what's going on with every team. Um, at least on their tape, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. I do. That's not for me to brag. I just take a lot of pride in it. And I don't think it's fair that in 2022, for me to expect to go on television and for people to pay attention to me when there's 4,000 other things that they can go pay attention to, if I'm not prepared to talk about it, you know, like why would I say this on NFL live, we get 38 minutes of real television with commercials, 38 minutes. We got to earn your 38 minutes. So I better be on there knowing what the heck I'm talking about and, and making sure that I'm entertaining and educating you. You mentioned you got into the business because you're watching television and the announcers did not explain something you thought should be explained. So now you're in the booth first with college games this week with Monday night football for the first time. What's the biggest challenge of trying to get an opinion out in real time about a football play you just saw? Uh, you know, booth is not studio. If studio, you have two minutes in a booth, you have two seconds, you know? And so, um, I also think this, People are watching studio stuff often for you, for the people. People ain't watching a game for me. You know, like they're not watching Buffalo, Tennessee for me or for Lewis or Levy. They're going to watch because they want to watch Buffalo and Tennessee play. Um, so I try to keep my perspective that I'm just there um, allowing those people to enjoy the game more. And as long as I keep that in the forefront and um, know that moments still matter the most. The, the Saquon Barkley thing is the big the, the, the example. Um, there's going to be moments in that football game that are going to give me the opportunity to have an opinion of what should or should have happened or show people why it happened. And if that happens three times in that game, that's a good, that's a good deal. 
I don't need to sit there and tell everybody what happened on first and 10 in this four-yard run. I don't need to tell people that this third and six is a big play. I don't need to tell people, hey, watch what just happened, even though you just watched what happened. You know, so I think that, um, you know, I, I, I try to do the, my focus point, and I do this in my college games. I try to do this. Um, what's happening? What should be happening? Um, something to expect. And I very rarely go backwards. I always try to go forwards or very much so, you know, and I think it goes back to, you know, being okay, being wrong. Hey, on this third down, if I'm the Tennessee Titans, the one thing I cannot do is allow Josh to get out to his right. I don't care if I pressure that side, but I am not allowing Josh Allen on third and eight to scramble to his right. If he throws the ball to his left and they get a first down, well, we got that. That's fine. But he ain't going to give it. I'm not going to give him the easy way. You say two seconds to make a point. It's actually like what? 20 seconds you have between plays. Well, it's also, I'm in a three man booth with Lewis. So that 20 seconds might be eight or 10 or 12 of yours. It's a bit. And I try to do this in my college games. Remove your ego. You know, the goal is for the booth to sound well and do the game justice and get the respect of the players in the game and the people listening. The goal is not to be trending after this game, you know, and that, and that's a real thing. I'm very conscious of that. And so, um, you know, we fortunate enough that we had those two preseason games. And I would tell you the overwhelming feedback that came from execs, people in the booth, people listening was it sounded conversational. It didn't sound like, okay, Dan, this is your tech in 10 seconds. Lewis, here's your 10 seconds. You know, and I really want that. I want people, what's the saying, you know, everyone you're sitting there with your buddies watching the game. Um, That's obviously the goal. And just to have people enjoy the things that Lewis and I are talking about. Over the last 20 years, announcers have been able to talk about football on TV with way, way more complexity than they once did, than they did when you and I were growing up. How do you think about the idea of honoring the complexity of the game without losing people who are sitting down and watching Monday Night Football? Yeah, honest answer. When I talk football, I try to pretend that I'm talking to my wife because I think my wife is is like 99% of the football fans. My wife loves, she's from Philadelphia, so she loves football. She's a diehard Eagles fan and she, she knows football. She has absolutely no clue about football, you know? And so I try to keep that as the mindset of like, Hey, you know, can, you know, when I'm talking about man cover three, you know, I don't want to, you know, people know what three is and a lot of football fans know what cover three kind of is, but I want them to know, well, this is cover three, meaning this, these two guys, I don't need to tell you what the 11 people are. These two guys, that's their responsibility. And this is what this team did to make it really hard for them to do their responsibility. And I think that's part of that cutting out the fat thing, you know, and that's a benefit of me being in studio. I totally believe that having experience of in-studio stuff and doing the breakdowns exponentially, exponentially yeah, um, prepares you for doing that stuff on live television in-game booths because you realize the, the the focal point is so much more important than the giant picture when it comes to that stuff. When I hear young announcers, that's a mistake they make all the time is they see six things on a play and they come back in the replay and say, I'm going to tell the audience all six of these things. 
And at home, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Me, the the basic football fan, wants to know the one thing you saw, or maybe yeah. two. But you can't yeah. tell me six right now because I'm just, it's going to overwhelm me. You lose me. And, and the reality is, once, especially on television, once I take that yellow pen and I put a mark, a circle, or something on that, it's hard for my eyes to leave that. We're visual people, right? So if I draw a circle here, a line there, a circle here, all at the same time, my goodness gracious, dude, I have, you know, like I'm, I'm lost. So, you know, and the, the, the focus point is not, not what happened on that play. Why did that play happen? Okay, so why did that play happen? Oh, well, the, well, this receiver went inside and the safety followed him. Now I have this giant window on the left to throw the football. So, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. One of the guys who I think does an awesome job of it is Troy. I honestly believe that. I'm not saying that because he's at ESPN. I, I've felt that for a couple of years now, and I've tried to mirror it where, you know, sometimes – Troy simplifies things so well that it's like, oh yeah, I get that. You know, you know, it's oh that linebacker, his eyes were at that motion. That's why that tailback went right there. So, um, yeah, again, uh, the star of the show should not be me. The star of the show are the players that are making the plays. And if I can get people to understand why those plays are being made or not being made, both audio and visually, then I'm doing my job. Speaking of Troy, when you're calling a game, how much of the job do you think is criticizing players and coaches? Um, well, I would tell you 100% of it. You know, 100% of the game is, you know, like maybe that's not the, the best way. To, I think you have to be willing to 100% of the time do that. Like you got to be willing to sit there and say, uh, that that guy, you know, he he didn't operate that or execute that play the right way, or you know, that's not the the way that the play call should have been. Or, my goodness, you know, how do you not call a timeout on fourth and five and at least have the conversation about that play? Or you know, the Monday Night Football game this past week is a perfect example of it. You know, like you got to be critical in that situation because everyone at home is thinking it. You know, and everyone at home is sitting there going, "What the heck are you doing?" So, yeah, I don't. I try not to be critical of. The, the player and or the coach, unless it's necessary, um, I have a job to do. And uh, those players and coaches are not paying my salary. Um, I try to be critical of how guys are performing um, and how coaches are performing rather than the person. There are times, uh, even given all the wonderful detail announcers can get into now, that I just want them to say, that was a really bad pass. Yeah, because I think sometimes the replay and the detail becomes an escape from saying the obvious thing. You know, yeah, I know you watched the Thursday night opener. At the end of the game, Chris Collins was like, "Let's just say this: the Rams stunk tonight. Like they were sure. awful." And sometimes yeah. it's really helpful as a viewer just to have somebody say that out loud because that you know helps me understand and think about the game. And, and it also reaffirms your own thoughts. I mean, that's part of, you know, I, again, I think one of the things that people at home want is they want to feel like part of the game. They want to feel like they're going on that 
and they want to feel validated with their, some of their thoughts, their fans, but they love it, you know, and they want to feel validated and, and that they know the football as well. Um, you know, listen, football is a complicated or simple game that we overcomplicate as players and coaches. And I think broadcasting is a little bit like that. We don't have to overcomplicate it. That quarterback just made an awesome, I'll go, I'll go back to last year. So, there was that stretch where Patrick was struggling a little bit. Right. And I remember one week watching the tape and just writing the note, like mechanically, he's really poor right now. And the second or third, four, four, four or five weeks in a row, the mechanics were bad. And I remember calling our uh, producer friend of live and saying, Hey, you got to trust me. I know what I'm about to do on TV today, but I got to do it. And I said, I'm going to come at the, the best quarterback in football. You know, and I'm aware of that. I know who I am, guys. I'm, I'm abundantly aware that I'm not Patrick Mahomes. But I think the great thing about football players, specifically NFL guys, is they know the truth. And 99% of them are okay with knowing the truth. They know when they don't play well. And they've spent their life hearing people tell them, you did not do this well. You know, so like players should, they don't get shocked when they're struggling and they know that, man, my, my mechanics are bad. They know. So I actually think you gain more respect from players when you tell the truth and, um, and don't try to sugarcoat it for them and, and cover up for them. So, you know, when I went on NFL live last year, I said, Patrick Mahomes right now, mechanically he's the worst quarterback in football. I knew what I was doing. I knew that I, I was you know, attacking the playing of a guy who's one of the greatest ever, but it was necessary. And um, it was the right thing to do when it came to my job. You've reached the level of TV notoriety where everything you say gets aggregated. Here are some recent headlines. Dan Orlovsky praises Desmond Ritter's improved arm strength. Dan Orlovsky fights off the rest of the ESPN getup crew and defends Tua. Stephen A. calls Dan Orlovsky pathetic. How does it feel to be aggressively aggregated? Uh, I don't know if I'm used to it, to be honest with you, man. Like, uh, you know, I know it's a thing uh, and I try not to pay attention to it. You know, ESPN is the machine, right? So I I know um, that everything I say is, is, is pretty much forefront. I don't get caught up in that. I just really try to do my job and be convicted about the things that I want to have conversations about. Sometimes I forget it though. Sometimes, you know, word will get back to me. I got a message from a coach the other day, uh, just yesterday. And, uh, he had some really nice things to me. I've never met him. Um, I I've never played on a team that he was a staff on, you know, so you, I don't know. I just try to be very much so in the moment. I try to be very much so um, unapologetic about the way that I go about it. Um, and sometimes I do lose sight of the fact that, dude, you're on ESPN saying this stuff. There's 400,000 people watching this. Um, but I don't I don't get caught up in that. I, don't try, I try not to pay attention to it. A couple more for you, Dan. You went on Pat McAfee's show right after the Super Bowl this year and said your deal with ESPN was up. Was the chance to call Monday Night Football what led you to resign with ESPN? Uh, man, it was the tipping point. If I'm being dead honest, yeah, you know, um, I could take you into it a little bit. So, like, I, I, you know, I was ready at that time. You know, three years ago when I resigned to ESPN after my initial deal, I wasn't ready to move on because I was still very new. 
And um, I know this is an ever-changing business. And I think this is the, the, the first time I was like, okay, I really want to see what other opportunities there are. And if it means going to a different network or it means moving from Connecticut and away from the East Coast, I was ready for that after multiple conversations with my wife. And there were moments in the negotiations where I thought it was going to happen. I, I honestly did. I really did. I thought, I mean, me and my wife were just about to go to LA, Los Angeles and look, start looking at homes and schools. You know, we have four kids, so we had to be prepared for that. And, um, you know, I think that um, <clears throat> it was going to be tough to leave ESPN because it's kind of, I grew up watching Sports Center like so many kids, but I grew up watching Sports Center growing up 40 minutes from it. You know, ESPN was like heaven, so to speak. So that would have been weird. I adore the people I get to work with on a daily basis. I mean, for, to leave the NFL live crew would would have been probably the hardest thing. You know, those people have become family to me and, Honestly, they've made me exponentially, but so much better at television, um, but they've become dear friends. Um, but I was at that point where I said, dude, I, I got to, I got to do what's best for me and my family and the work that I've done, you know, like I gave you my schedule. I had done that four straight years. I was grinding and, um, you know, I wanted to be challenged with a new opportunity. I, I believed that I was ready for it. I believed that the work that I had done had proved that I was ready for it. Um, and so when they ESPN finally came to my people, my reps and said, this is what we want to do. Um, that finally gave them moment to be like, all right, I cannot, um, I can't pass up that opportunity. I can't leave because that is uh, a, a, an opportunity and a situation that is an incredible one. And when you say LA, I assume you're referring to opportunities at Fox. Would you have yeah, been calling yeah. NFL games from the booth for Fox under that scenario? Yeah, that that was that was going to be part of that transition. Yes, you still get calls from the NFL asking if you have interest in being a coach or in a front office for a franchise. Um. Yeah. Um. I've I've had a couple instances over the past couple of weeks where people have reached out and asked. I uh, you know both for more for coaching than front office stuff. Um. But I've had two instances probably in like the last month where people you know gauge my interest level or, or are you you know where are you with this and it's always incredibly flattering. I often say because they ask. Are you interested in coaching? My answer is always yes, because absolutely, I'll always be interested in coaching. Um, right now, I love getting to do what I get to do. Um, I feel like I'm coaching people at home. Um, I have four young kids, you know, so I, I like the ability to see them. You know, the coaching business is a very, very difficult one. So, um, yeah, right now, I love it. That's something you'd be potentially interested in somewhere down the road. Under oh, for sure. Coach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If, right, I mean, the down, absolutely. Because the right situation and having the opportunity to be a part of that. I tell it to the NFL live crew all the time. And I say thank you to them. My greatest love of being in the NFL was the locker room. Uh, I was the backup quarterback, right? So like the locker room to me was the greatest place in the world. I don't have that. But the NFL live crew has become that for me in, in many ways. And to have the opportunity to be a part of that again someday would be, be awesome. About those kids, are you a sports dad? Yeah, I'm a maniac. Um, no, yeah, my kids love sports. So I have three boys that are 10, they're triplets. Um, they're into all kinds of sports. And then I have a daughter who's six, who's sporty. My wife is sporty. She has, she played sports growing up. 
I love sports. I'm a jock, obviously. Um, so uh, I think youth sports are shambles. Um, so I try, we do everything in our household not to be that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a sport family. We have sporty kids for sure. What's, what's a shambles about youth sports? I think that the ask and demand of kids in sports nowadays is a joke. It's become such a business. Um, if you're not the greatest 10 year old in the world, you stink, you know? And so the, the pressure for these kids to go perform, I saw a stat the other day, 70% of 13 year olds quit playing sports uh, by that age. That's, they don't like, they don't do that because, um, you know, they, 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 that's happening because the pressure, the expectation, the demand, you know, I'll be candid. My sons are 10 years old playing flag football for the first time. They have practice four days a week and then a game as a fifth day. That is more than the NFL does. So, you know, and I've voiced that to them, to their coaches being like, guys, no, 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 no. So I've even told my wife, there's going to be moments where we don't take them to the practice for a day because they just need to be kids a little bit, you know? And so I just, um, I just really believe that the, the demand, the pressure and the expectations for kids to be so good at sports at such a young age has taken a lot of the joy away from it. And, um, mommy and daddy have tried to buy star players, uh, so often nowadays. And, um, I just don't think that's the way to go about it. Are you getting to watch these flag football games or are you off calling a college game that day? I don't get to do the football because of the college stuff, which breaks my heart, to be honest with you, because obviously, you know, my love for it. But I get to coach their basketball teams for the most part. I get to coach baseball, get to coach lacrosse. Um, I love coaching them. They're at an age where they've kind of hinted at, dad, we don't like when you coach. I'm an intense person, right? Like I'm an intense dude. So they've hinted to be like, hey, we prefer you just sit and be quiet. So, but I, nothing brings me more joy family-wise when then, you know, when we get to go watch them kind of compete, and you know, go on their own athletic journey. Dan Orlovsky, thanks for coming on the Press Box. My pleasure, man. Big fan. Thank you. All right, huge thanks to Dan Orlovsky. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Devin Manzi. David Shoemaker and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then. Hey.